We're going to continue in the study of God's Word, the book of Acts, and it's just amazing how God many times just kind of lines out a sermon series and how it lines up with the time of the year. Uh, We're launching into the Advent season here on December 1st, and it's amazing how God's Word today will remind us of our need for a Savior, which is what Christmas is all about. You know, back when I was growing up in Mississippi, there was a, a statement that many times I heard made, and it went something like this. If that dude was worth half what he thinks he's worth, he'd be worth a fortune. Anybody ever heard anything remotely along those lines? Yeah, typically, when you're hearing that, you're making a statement about someone whose self-worth is over-evaluated. And please hear me, we all have self-worth, so much so that Jesus died for us. But we're talking about, in this instance, someone who has over-evaluated their importance. In fact, it's someone who wants to be king of their own domain, and all of us, being human, are sometimes guilty of this. Sometimes we get so caught up in our kingdom and all the things that are going on, we lose sight of the fact that we are only a representative of the one who actually owns the kingdom and who created the kingdom and whose kingdom we're supposed to be promoting in spite of ourself. And so we see this played out today in Acts chapter 14, starting there in verse 8. We see Paul and Barnabas show up. We're going to talk about their apostleship and where we get that scripturally. But as they're there in this town called Lystrum, we'll talk about the difficulties they would have faced there. They start teaching the gospel. Before the teaching the gospel takes place, Paul does what Paul did quite often, and that was heal somebody. And when he healed this guy physically, and you're going to see that he also healed him spiritually, through the power that God has now done through his Holy Spirit and the work that he's done there, what Paul starts to see is something he had not seen before. See, typically when he goes to these places, he runs into the danger of being stoned to death. Now, all of a sudden, he's in a place where they start worshiping him as a god. And so Paul and Barnabas are faced with something they've never been faced before. They're faced with this idea of how do we translate or or communicate with these people that we are not gods, that we are simply representatives of God and we can't be worshipped. And so we go into this whole demonstrative display, this adamant emotional outcry, hey, you've got to stop this. This is not who we are. And so we start to see in these two apostles, and remember apostles are gifts, According to Ephesians 4, 11, and 12, apostles are gifts to the church. We see in these apostles no need to be the king of their domain, this idea of humility, this idea of controlling pride, so much to the point, so much to the point that, man, they turned down what could have been a very lucrative following. And so what we learn from that this morning is not this idea of offering sacrifices to Zeus or to Hermes, which we're going to read about, but what we learn is this idea is not getting caught up in this, this false belief of thinking we're all that. And here's what I mean by that. This idea of remembering through humility that we are those who are the ones in need. That when Paul was teaching, Paul would have been teaching to me and you. It wasn't the folks who were simply chasing after Zeus or chasing after Hermes. It's also those chasing after the American dream and somehow elevating that to the godship and the pursuit and the desire of our hearts. Whereas what Christmas is all about is this idea that each one of us in this room is the reason Jesus came. Each one of us in this room is the reason Jesus had to die. Y'all, Christmas is not about this warm, cuddly story of a baby in a manger and angels singing out in the plains. It's not about wise men bringing gifts. The story of Christmas is a story of war. We're going to talk about that literally, that the Sunday before Christmas, we're going to talk about that Jesus came to make war on sin, and you're the reason he came. You needed him, and you still need him. And so what we learn from Paul and Barnabas is this idea of keeping pride and self-worth in check. And so this morning, I want you to go through this text thinking, hey, I need to be careful. I need to be careful not forgetting that Christmas is about me. 
I need to be careful not remembering that Jesus did die for me. I crucified him. It wasn't the Jews. It wasn't the Romans. It was me that put him on there because none of us are all that minus the person of Christ. So pray with me. Let's get ready to study this principle together. And then we'll talk about at the end what we're supposed to do about this and how we should reflect it. Father, we love you and we thank you again for bringing us together for the act of corporate worship. Remind us in this moment, for Lord, here we are in the Christmas season. And it's amazing, the Americanized version of Christmas is all about spending money to give gifts. And somehow we view that as kind and generous. And yet, Father, the problem is gift giving is not really the focus of Christmas at all. It, it is the actual receiving of the gift of Christ Jesus. It was the coming of the Christ child to make war against my own personal sin. Lord, that's what Christmas is all about. And so, so when we come in this room today, sometimes we walk into worship and we get to thinking the opposite of what is real. We get to thinking that worship is where we come to receive. This is where we're going to get fed, and this is where God is going to give us something. Yet, Father, that's not worship. From us giving worship to the Lord, yes, many times he's gracious and allows us to grow. But Father, remind us in the quietness of this moment that we are here to give to him. This is an act of worship to present our very best to him. So Father, I pray right now you would just, with your Holy Spirit, uh, just take hold of our memories and our minds and help us to really dial in and focus to the words that we're going to read. Father, that you would grant us right now your very wisdom to understand the truths that we're going to study, and that, Father, we would be willing then as we read these truths to apply these truths and understand they apply to us in our own spiritual condition. So, Father, speak. Speak from your word. Father, that is how you've intended to be heard. Speak through your very spirit in our minds this morning. And, Father, we will praise you that you have visited with us. We give you our adoration. We give you our worship in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. If you would start with me there in verse 8 chapter 14 of the book of Acts. In Lystra, a man was sitting who was without strength in his feet, had never walked, and had been lame from birth. Uh, let, me, let me catch us up to where we are. If you remember the last time we left Paul and Barnabas before our November interruption of the Acts sermon series when we focused on the act of thanksgiving during that whole month, we left them in Iconium, and if you don't remember what happened there, they were about to be stoned to death. Uh, they had received warning, hey, they're going to just rally up some folks and they're going to stone you and they're going to get rid of you. And so they have now left Iconium. They've gone down to Lystra. Uh, if you look up here on the left-hand side, Iconium down to Lystra. So they've traveled in this southwest formation. Lystra was a little bit different than all the other towns they had gone to. It's a military outpost. Let me, let me give you a picture of what I'm talking about. Those who may be movie watchers, if you like westerns, the movie Dances with Wolves, you know, Kevin Costner ends up out here in a military outpost all by himself. That's Lystra. That's where, that's where they're headed. Because remember, they're going from civilization to civilization. This would have been a rough one. This is a Roman soldier military outpost. It was so fortified, if you look in the bottom left, they had built all of their barracks and most of the town were built directly into the wall of the limestone mountain there. They had the high ground. I mean, it was truly a fortress because the Roman army was still fighting some enemies there. And so this is a hardened, hardened military group. This would have been a group that would have been very superstitious. They would have worshipped mythological gods, and we'll talk about those gods in just a minute. So understand, again, this is not their normal crowd. There is no Jewish synagogue here. That was their standard practice. Hey, go to a place where there's a Jewish synagogue. At least they'll have the Old Testament in common with us. No, this is not that place. This is a tough, tough spot. 
And so they go there, and notice what Luke says. Remember, Luke was a medical doctor. This is very important when you look at this first phrase. He talks about a guy who was lame since birth. That one phrase, that one phrase that's actually there in Greek is one word. It's adenatos. And what it means is impossible or incapable. And so when you look at that, here's what he's actually saying to us. Physically, it was impossible for this man to do what he's about to do. Physically, he's incapable to do what Paul is about to command him to do. So here's what Luke, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wants you to understand. You're about to read about a supernatural miracle. We kind of stray away from the term supernatural. We think that's bad. But you do understand God is supernatural. All super means is above or beyond. God is above or beyond the norm. He's above or beyond the natural. So Luke, a medical doctor, is writing from a medical perspective, says, hey, what I'm about to tell you, not possible. You cannot do this stuff. This has to be something greater than what you see taking place. There's something working behind the scenes here. And so he gets to it in verse 9. He listened. Remember, this is the lame man. He listened as Paul spoke. Okay, so I don't know about your house. If I'm listening in my house, that requires me to stop watching the TV and look at my wife. I don't know if that's how it works in your house or not. If I just continue watching whatever I'm watching and she's talking, I'm not listening. And so listening means listening with my eyes. Here's the only thing. This word listening doesn't mean any of that. That's what's really odd here, and that's why we study language, because this helps you to understand what the writer doesn't include in English. Remember, we're, we're trying to translate from Greek to English. The word that's there for listened is akuo, and it means made able to hear, made able to understand. So remember, I hear you also means like I understand you, like I hear you. So, so it means made able to understand, made able to hear. This is in reference to Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, where Paul says, faith is a gift. Please hear me very carefully. This is a salvific truth. No individual has ever been saved unless the Holy Spirit has acted upon that individual first, giving them the gift of faith so they then understand the gospel and can receive it. There is no such thing as a soul winner outside of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. That is very false human language. I have never led a soul to Christ, nor has any other person other than Jesus. The Holy Spirit has led people to himself by making them able to understand by giving them the gift of faith, and I happen to be there with them to walk them through Scripture and lead them in a prayer. But I did not lead them to Jesus. The Holy Spirit did all of that. And so what Luke wants you to understand is that the Holy Spirit has acted upon this man, giving him the gift of faith, and Paul has the spiritual gift of discernment to see what's happening. I don't have that gift. Go to 1 Corinthians 12 at some point, read about the gift of discernment. It's an unusual spiritual wiseness meaning some people can really tell when something spiritually is true or false, so like, like they just have a different sense. I don't possess it. It is not one of my gifts. Paul, obviously, he, he, he obviously had that gift. So notice what happens. So, so the guy has been given the ability to understand the gospel. So obviously Luke doesn't tell us everything that Paul says. He's just given us the cliff notes. After looking directly at him and seeing that he had faith, y'all, I'm just going to be honest, I can't see faith. I can't see, I see actions that exist because of faith, but I can't look inside you and see faith. Paul had a different sense. If y'all remember, Peter also had it. Remember Aquila and Priscilla? You know, they showed up and they had lied, and Peter knew it immediately. He looked at him, why did you lie to the Lord? What? What are you talking about? You give all the money? Oh, yeah. <laughs> saw it coming. Uh, see, Peter saw it. 
Paul somehow could discern this. I, I don't have that spiritual gift of discernment. But Paul could look at this man and he could see that this man had been given that gift of faith. And here's how we know this. Notice, listen to the wording very carefully. After looking directly at him and seeing that he had faith to be healed. All right, so a doctor's writing this, and so you and I think he's got the faith to be healed, like physically. Here's what's weird. That's not the word that's there, healed. It's the word sozo in Greek. Sozo means rescued or saved. Paul could see he had the faith to be saved, and so he's just going to add the miracle just for icing. I mean, that, that's, that's the... That's the icing on the cake. The goal is the man's salvation. And so what Luke is writing about is this man had the ability to hear, understand, and believe in the gospel. Paul somehow could see that. So this is all about rescuing the man physically or, or spiritually. Notice what Paul then does. Paul said in a loud voice, stand up on your feet. Should be a big exclamation point because he's giving him a command inspired by the Lord. And he jumped up and began to walk around. So, so notice what happened first. He was saved first, then the miracle of physical healing happened afterwards. He, he didn't have the miracle performed, then believed. He believed, and then the miracle occurred. So, so do understand, when God most often operates, it's because me and you exercise faith first without him doing the miracle second. Typically, there has to be faith first, and then God does something supernatural second. So if you're waiting for God to do something great in your marriage then you need to start believing in Christ and following his word. Then he'll do something great in your marriage. Don't expect him to give you your dream job if you're still not living in faith and obedience according to the word. It's not going to happen. Notice the pattern here. Belief happened first. Faith occurred first. Given to him by the Holy Spirit. He exercises that faith. His salvation occurs. Then the miracle happens after he has already exercised faith. Here's how we want it. We want God to do something good, then we'll believe in you. That's not how God operates, because that's easy. That's not even faith. That's just easy. And God never operates that way. So, so now he's healed the guy, and we're about to get into this whole idea of knowing who we are and how other people view us. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted, saying in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Okay, so let me give you a little bit of background on these gods. Uh, this is Zeus on the left-hand side. He is the king of the mythological gods. So, so they're gods, but they also have a king. And so Zeus was kind of the king of the Greek mythological gods. On the right-hand side, that is Hermes. Hermes was the messenger of the gods, but his words carried governing authority. So, so if you referred to somebody as Hermes, you weren't simply talking about the fact the person could talk real well. You were talking about the fact they could talk real well, but their words carried great authority. And, and so this is two of the Greek mythological gods. And so that kind of catches you up. So Jeff, if you go to the healing slide, which is next, boom. Paul's done his thing, and notice what the result is going to be. Barnabas, they call Zeus. Here's what's kind of cool. The Bible doesn't tell us Barnabas is saying anything, and they give him the title of the king of the gods. He must have been pretty impressive just standing there. You know, some people just impressive. That must have been Barnabas. They look at Barnabas and go, oh, Zeus! And Barnabas is kind of like, I always wanted to see that dude. Where's he at? You know, and it's actually him. And so they call Barnabas Zeus because, and then Paul was Hermes because he was the chief speaker. Uh, the word chief there also means governing or power. That, that goes right along with the, the phrase Hermes. Luke is really playing this up. Remember, Luke writes to a lot of Greek people. 
And so he shared with them, man, you're not going to believe this. Paul and Barnabas were there. Paul heals this dude. He, he's led him uh, in telling him the gospel story. And this guy has chosen to believe after receiving the gift of faith. And all of a sudden, man, they're calling him Zeus and Hermes. I mean, people reading this would have thought this was great. And, and here's the cool deal. It could have been had these men not been as spiritually mature as they were. This could have led to much wealth for them, but they chose not to. Listen to what was happening. Verse 13, the priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside of town, brought bulls and wreaths to the gates because he intended with the crowds to offer sacrifice. Um, this altar down on the bottom, hand right, that came from that very temple that we're talking about. That came from Lystra, the temple of Zeus. There's no telling how many human sacrifices have been offered right there on that altar. Um, so that still exists. So it's kind of funny like we read Scripture and then we find archaeological evidence that goes right along with Scripture because guess what? It's true. And so here, here you have the very altar that was in that temple of Zeus. And so up above that, this is the worship they're intending to give to these two men. Verse 14, the apostles, Barnabas and Paul. Hey, let me stop right there. That's a teaching point for a minute. You know, when I grew up, I thought of the apostles. That's just the 12, right? Then you had Matthias, who was the replacement for Judas, that was selected by Lot, the Lord oversaw that. I always thought the apostles were just the 12. Until you get to learning Scripture and get to understanding Scripture, to be an apostle, one had to see Jesus post-resurrection. That, that's, that's straight out of early Christianity. To see Jesus post-resurrection and then be selected personally by him to do a specific work. What Luke wanted us to understand by including that title is that these men were just as hand-picked as were the 12. That's what Luke is wanting us to understand. These men were just as handpicked as the twelve. In fact, Peter later recognizes the writings of Paul as being apostolic. And here's what Peter said. We've got to love Peter. Peter says, some of the things Paul writes is confusing. In case y'all don't know, it is. Some of the things Paul writes is confusing. Peter recognized that. He said, however, it is, and the Greek word he uses is graphi, which is the word only used for Scripture in the Greek language. He says, what Paul has written is graphi. It is inspired. And so here, Luke wants us to understand Paul and Barnabas were also considered apostles. In case y'all don't know, James, the half-brother of Jesus who wrote the book that's in Scripture, he was considered an apostle. He was later the pastor of the church at Jerusalem. The apostles, Barnabas and Paul, tore their robes when they heard this and rushed into the crowd. Typically, when men tore their robes, I do want you to get a picture of what was happening. They didn't literally tear them. These robes were made of some really, really tough, tough material. So this wasn't like, you know, Hulk Hogan and tearing the t-shirt, which is the thickness of newspaper. It's not that. This is, they rent them disheveled. In other words, they made themselves look a mess. They would tear their robes. Typically, you did that when you were mourning. However, in the Near Eastern culture, you also did that as a form of protest. And so everybody there, being Greek speakers and worshipers of mythological Greek gods, they would have understood this Near Eastern culture, that as they ran out into the crowd, tearing at their robes, that was a sign of protest. They may not have understood what the protest was yet, but it was a sign of protest. And so immediately, they are downplaying this idea of being worshipped. People, there should be an exclamation point. Why are you doing these things? We are people also just like you, and we are proclaiming good news to you. Okay, so again, good news. Evangelion is the word there that's in Greek. That's the word we use for evangelism. Actually, it means good news. Well, what's the good news? We've talked about this before. If you go to Luke chapter 10, 
and you start reading there about verse 37, Peter gives you the good news from verse 37 to verse 43. He puts it in a nutshell about this big. So if you wondered what the good news is in a summary statement, Peter gives it to us in the book of Acts, chapter 10, verse 37 through 43. And so this is what Paul says. We're here to proclaim to you this good news, and notice what he says. So that you may turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. Um, Turn from doesn't mean that I'm facing Amanda and I turn from her and face Josh. That's not what it means. It's not that. It's a belief statement. It means change your beliefs. Epistrepho is the word. So it doesn't mean simply to turn physically. It means to change your beliefs. So we're here to tell you the good news so that you will quit chasing after all this false stuff, this Zeus and Hermes and all that stuff, and you will start to change your belief structure. And notice what they said to the one who created everything. Remember, the Greeks were very sensitive about creation. They viewed the sun as a god and the moon as a god. And here's what Paul had just told them. Your entire belief structure is jacked up, and he said it in one sentence. We're here to change your entire belief structure. All of those things are the created things of the one true living God. And so we call this an argument from creation. You know, there are people out there called apologists. In case you don't know, you can go to seminary. And you can get a degree. It's not just a master's of divinity, but it's got an apology, an apology specialty. And somebody goes, well, are we apologizing for our faith? Well, no, too many churches already do that. Apology means to defend. An apologist defends their faith. Like they become really educated on how to defend Christianity against other world religions. Did you know one of the greatest arguments is the argument from creation? The Bible says in Romans 1 that all of mankind, everywhere in the world, for all time, know that God exists. Why? Every time he looks out at the stars. Every time he looks at the sun, the moon. Every time he sees the tide come in, the tide go out. Sun go up, sun go down. Every time man experiences creation, the Bible says that is God's revelation of himself to the totality of mankind. That every man will stand before God without excuse. That every man knew inside themselves. God put the knowledge of himself inside their very mind. And what reminds them of that knowledge is every time they look at creation, now what does God also allow us to do? He allows us to be free real creatures. And so I walk outside and I, I might look at the sun and go, man, you know, thank you, Lord, for this beautiful ball of fire that you created. And some people may walk out and go, oh, hot again today? Because it doesn't create belief to them. And so again, he's arguing from the standpoint of creation. Verse 16, in past generations, he allowed all the nations to go their own way. Now listen very carefully to this. What Paul did not say right there was he ignored their sin. That's not what he said. He said God has allowed the nations to pursue after what they wanted to pursue after. Meaning, you also are a free will creature. A free will creature. So God has acted upon you with the gift of faith, giving you the ability to believe and understand the gospel, but then you have to choose what you do with that belief. And that's all he's saying here is God has allowed from the very beginning, he allowed Adam and Eve to make choices. Their choices cost all of us. Your choices cost you and cost others dear to you as well. And so he's allowed all the nations to have free will. Verse 17, although he did not leave himself without a witness. And here again, here's what he's stating. He's allowed them to pursue after all these false gods, yet God has always given a witness of himself. And notice what he says this time. He's already used creation 
You know God exists simply by creation, but notice how else we know He exists. Since He did what is good by giving you rain from heaven and fruitful seasons and filling your food and your hearts with joy. Okay, so if you have anything good in your world, it came from God, not you. That's what Paul just said. Your work, see, see men in particular, we think our work, we, we take pride in our work because it produces something. Here's what Paul said, your work produces nothing. God may have given you your work and may have allowed you to build the skills and the talent set that you have acquired, but in the end, any joy you experience from it does not come from you, it comes from God. So what does that tell us? If you're working for anybody else other than the glory of God himself in your vocation, you will never have peace or contentment in it. And that was good. Hang on, let me say that one more time. If you are working in your vocation for anything less than or other than the very glory of God in your vocation, you will never have contentment or peace in it. Because here's what Paul said. He gave you the rain. He gave you the harvest, meaning, yes, you worked, but the labor, the labor didn't produce it. The labor was in obedience. It was God who produced from your labor. And the only reason you enjoy it at all is because God gave you joy. And so again, everything goes back to him. We get to thinking we're all that and look what we've done, what we've created. And here's what Paul says, it's not yours. God gets credit for everything. God gets credit for it all. Verse 18, even though they said these things, they barely stopped the crowds from sacrificing to them. See, here's the deal. I'm not responsible for the actions of everybody else. The only thing I have direct control over is what? What I do. Paul and Barnabas were only responsible for what they did to stop it. They weren't responsible for the actions of other people heaping upon them something that they actually were not. And when I was going through this church, it reminded me of these two cartoon characters because it illustrates our purpose beautifully. Everybody knows this, right? Y'all remember the names? Spike and... Chester. Spike and Chester. This is Chester right here. Y'all remember, and I would do it, because, but it hurts me. Um, Y'all remember Chester? He was always bouncing around. I'm just not going to do it. It makes my brain joggle. And, and so, but you know, Chester was always bouncing around. What are we going to do today, Spike? What are we going to do today, Spike? What are we going to you know, And like Spike, Spike was never excited, like ever. Spike did this all the time. Remember he had the toothpick? And that was from the latest cat he had eaten? I mean, that's just what he, you know, Spike was a cat machine. Cats were terrified. But y'all know Chester, not only were the cats not afraid of him, Chester was afraid of his own shadow. Do y'all remember that? Like he would round a corner, and if he saw a shadow, he would cower down and was terrified. It's kind of like my cat. No kidding, our cat has been with us nearly seven years. He cannot walk through our front room without cowering down because of the ceiling fans who have always been there and who have never attacked him, not one time. He still cowers down every time. Like every time he just... And I'm like, really? Like, Really? Well, this is Chester. Chester was terrified even of his shadow. Like, he would see his shadow, and he would start to whimper. Like, just terrified. Sylvester, y'all remember Sylvester the cat, right? Sylvester loved to pick on Chester, but Sylvester made no leeway with Spike. Spike was always bruising up on Sylvester. So there was one episode, you might remember this, that Spike decided he was going to allow Chester to really build his self-image, his self-worth, his self-confidence. And so Chester didn't know this. He didn't share that plan with Chester. This was Spike's way of building up his friend. And so, so Chester leaves Spike, and he's going back to his own house. 
And sure enough, he rounds a corner. Now remember, y'all, this is not real. It's a cartoon. He rounds a corner. He sees his shadow. And, and what, is, what does he do? Man, he cowers down, just like my cat. He kind of cowers down and tears well up in his eyes in his shadow. Now remember, this is cartoon land. His shadow kind of does the, like it's going to get him. Like his shadow is scaring him. Well, y'all know, y'all remember the cartoon, right? Spike comes around the corner. Chester doesn't see him. Spike looks at the shadow and kind of rolls up his skin like he's rolling up his sleeves. Y'all remember what his shadow did? Yes, it started whimpering and ran away. Now remember, it's a cartoon. So Chester's shadow ran away because it was scared of Spike. But well, well, Chester's kind of like, wow, okay, all right. And Chester goes on down the street and about three alley cats kind of herd him up in a corner. Well, man, I mean, he's just sweating bullets. Sylvester was one of those. He was sweating bullets. He's terrified because these alley cats, well, Chester doesn't know Spike's around, and Spike kind of peeks his head around the corner and looks at the alley cats. And y'all, y'all remember in the cartoons, right? You know, a cat's supposed to have how many lives? All of these cats turn like ghost white in like all eight of their lives prior to that one ticked away, like one, two, three, four, five, six, just out of fear. Like he took eight of their nine lives just because he was so scary. And they all ran off like these ghost white cats. And Chester's kind of like, <laughs> And then Sylvester was the last one. Like that was the last test. And, and Sylvester in this picture, I couldn't find the one from the cartoon. They're there together. But that wasn't the case. Sylvester comes up. He's got like a hammer. And he's about to smoke Chester with it. And Big Spike just kind of rolls up his sleeves again. And Sylvester takes off running. So, so how does the cartoon end? And Chester's chest is bigger than the state of Texas. And y'all, that's big. Just ask any Texan, they'll let you know. It's big. And I mean, he walks home and he is the big dog on the block. But here's the question. What's Chester all that? Chester was nothing without whom? Without Spike. Are you all that? You got nothing. Without whom? A little baby in a manger. You got nothing without Jesus. And so if we're going to accomplish something this Advent season, it shouldn't be trying to give more gifts than what we did last year because you, here's what's funny about that. There's still some building up of self because we gave more. Part of that still comes back on us. We get some type of glory from that. You know what needs to take place this Advent season is this. And notice the key word in that phrase. Really. We need to remember who we really are. Not what you want people to think you are. We need to remember who we really are. Like you standing in front of the mirror, toothbrush only company. You, the toothbrush, the mirror, and Jesus. Who are you? That's what we need to be focused on during Advent because you know that baby Jesus came for that person. Not for the one you appear to be on Sunday morning when we all gather in here and we're all Christian cool. Y'all do know that's what happens on Sunday morning. Hey, man, how's it going? It's good. No one underneath, everything is falling apart. Marriage is struggling. Kids aren't behaving the way they've been raised. The money is tight and short. I'm looking at changing jobs again. Oh, it's all good, man. Elbow bump. What's up, bro? Because that's not being honest about who we really are. So I'm talking about take your Christian cool appearance out of it. Let's talk about your spiritually real person 
that Jesus had to come and die for. You do understand, if the only person on earth was you, he'd have still come because you would have still have needed it. That's who we really are. But when we get real with ourselves spiritually, there are some things we learn from this text. I'm just going to share three with you for the sake of time. There's three from this text that serve as reminders of what a person who's really in touch with their spiritual self actually does. Number one, if I'm really in touch with the fact that I am in need, I will not bypass those who are also in need. Guys, I, I don't know about you, every year, every year in January, I say this about my December calendar. Next year, it will not happen the way it did this year. Whatever. Whatever. And here's the thing, all of you, just like me, are going to be running from thing to thing to, and none of, here, here's the deal, none of those things are bad. None of those things are bad. It's Christmas musicals, and it's widow's banquets, and it's this committee meeting, and it's this board meeting. It's all good. It's all good stuff. But we get so busy doing all this good stuff that sometimes we go right by people who are right in front of our face who need our help. You know what? Here's the deal. It may be the person seated beside you on your couch at home or your kids. You do understand the greatest gift you give to your children. It's not those wrapped things you put under the tree. The greatest gift you give to your children is you and the love of Jesus that He's invested in you. That's what you need more so this Christmas than anything else. Not bypassing those in need, including those in your own home. Number two, by making sure people understand whom we are representing. Notice what Paul and Barnabas did. Y'all, it wasn't the protest of the Greek gods. Notice that. They were going to use that information. Paul does it later on at the Areopagus. That's what he does at Mars Hill. He argues from where those people were. They weren't bemoaning the fact that these people worship false gods. What were they bemoaning? They were bemoaning the fact they were being recognized as gods and said, no, we will not allow it. Because here's what they understood. Their sole purpose in this world is not to be the most important, but to represent the most important. Let me ask you this. this is, man, this is really personal. Those of you in this room who are married, does your spouse know you're not the most important person in the world? Have you, have you led your spouse to understand you are not the most important person in the world? Do you contribute to your spouse understanding who the most important person in the world is? Which is Christ Jesus. Husbands, your top priority with your spouse is to make sure she is growing in Christ-likeness. That is your top priority. Not for her to cook a great Thanksgiving meal, clean it up, Make sure the laundry's done while she also does her job. Your job as her husband is to make sure she is growing in Christ's likeness above all things else because you're not the most important person in her world. Parents, you need to start teaching your children now. They are not the center of the universe. They are important. And we should love them unconditionally. But they are not the center of the universe. Every decision you make should not be about you being their best friend or making them happy. Every decision you make concerning them should be according to God's plan for their life. And that's it. If we achieve that, all the rest of the stuff, here's what the Bible says. 
If we achieve that, all the rest of the stuff is given by God. Finally, number three, by not allowing the recognition of others to be our motivation. Listen, all of us in some way struggle with this. All of us. Some more than others, but all of us in some way struggle with this. Man, it must be nice to sit down. I've cooked and cleaned and cooked and cleaned. That very well may be true, but why are we voicing it? Because we want recognition for what we've done. Please hear this, and I mean this with the utmost of respect. True service. True service demands no recognition in return. Yeah, you want to take a note? Take that one down. True service demands no recognition in return. So what kingdom? What kingdom will you walk out of here today focused on growing? What person will you walk out of here today drawing all recognition and attention to? Who will it be in your world that is most important? Before I have you stand and pray, there's a couple things I want you to process and digest mentally. Number one, you may be here this morning and you go, Justin, here's the deal. I'm just going to be honest. I listen to what you're saying. Christmas has never been that for me. Christmas has never been that I need Jesus. Christmas is just that. It's the holiday. It's the busyness. It's the food. It's the, the, the sharing of gifts. But, but for the first time, for some reason, I'm seated here this morning, and I can't even explain it to you. Maybe it's like the lame guy. You said the lame guy was given something. Maybe I've been given something because here's what I know. I'm not close to God like you're talking about. In fact, I feel, I feel as far from God as I've ever been. I don't know that I have ever lived as his representative. I don't think I've ever viewed the world through the lens of this is really about God and not about me. But today, for some reason, I know something needs to change. Can you help me? Yes, I can. But you do understand, it's not like a 15-second fix. It doesn't work that way. What Luke left out here was Paul explaining and sharing the very person and the very gospel of Jesus to him for the sake of the story. Remember, he, he, he's, he's editing the story. But I don't want you to bypass that. So if that is you this morning, you feel, Justin, hey, I, I don't know why I can't explain it, but I know I need to make a life change. Can you... Can you explain to me, walk me through what the Scripture says about this Jesus coming for me, that I need Him, I realize I need something. If it's Jesus, can you show me information on that? Yes. But again, not in 15 seconds right here in this room. Here's what I need you to do. When this service is over, we're going to stand in a minute, we're going to pray, and we're going to be dismissed. And when this service is over, here's what I want you to do. I want you to walk straight over here where it says exit. Because that's what you're going to do. You're going to meet a couple of our prayer response team members and they're going to exit with you and you're going to go to a more private place and they're going to sit down with you and say, hey, if you're really interested in God changing your life, if for some reason you believe in this person of Jesus like you never have before and you don't understand it, don't know how it's happening, let me explain to you what Scripture says. That's what will happen for you today. And you will start a brand new journey in your life unlike anything else you've ever done. But maybe that's not who you are. Maybe today you'd look at me and say, Justin, I know that I took that step. That step settled for me. But you know what? As I sit here, I realize sometimes I'm the king of my own domain. And I don't know that I've convinced my wife that Jesus is the most important person in her world, not me. I don't know that I've convinced my husband 
or my children that Jesus is the most important person in their world and their decisions should revolve around that. I don't know that I haven't made it my rules and my kingdom, but today I want to confess that because I want to be right. I want this Advent to be something special. I want to focus this Christmas season on the fact that I needed that baby who came. Because I needed that baby to grow up and become the sacrifice he was sent to be to die on that cross. Justin, I I need this Advent season to be that. How does that happen? Well, 1 John 1, 9 says if you confess your sins, which is placing everything else other than God as the priority in our world, if you confess that, the Bible says God wipes it away. He removes your righteousness, unrighteousness from you and gives you His righteousness. So He'll exchange all this filthy stuff, all the mistakes, all the, the improper choices, and He gives you His righteousness in replace of it. He says, I make you whole. I make you renewed all over again. And I'm not going to make you feel guilty. I'm going to take it away from you. So maybe, maybe it's when I start to pray, maybe it's coming to the altar. Maybe it's just kneeling down where you are. Maybe it's praying with somebody else. Maybe it's you speaking to a member of our prayer team saying, you know what, I'm not here because I need to hear the gospel. I just want another brother or sister in the Lord to pray with me through something. Whatever it is God would have you to do to get us ready for this. To get us, y'all, this is what Advent is about. It's us realizing our need for Jesus to come because we're not all that. That's what this is supposed to be about. So stand with me, let's pray, and you respond in how God leads you to in obedience. Father, we love you. We praise you for your word. I pray.